Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. This is Taylor McGowan, and I'm joined by Altius president and founder, Michael Williams. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. I'm excited about this uh, this edition of our podcast. Yeah, I'm kind of hoping today will be a little bit more exciting because we're kind of having a more touchy type subject. So I'm calling today's episode World Meets Wallet, and that's because... Uh, geez, what's going on in the world? Today, we're kind of talking about the, the market and the economic impact of some of the current events. And then we're going to transition this into, okay, what's what's going on right now in the U.S. and the world? Okay, well, how, how has that ap- impacted the economy and the markets so far? And what's our long-term outlook? What are our thoughts on what's going to happen in the future for the markets and the economy? Yeah, but first we need to do our little uh, disclaimer. So just a quick reminder to our audience, the listening audience, that any discussion that we have here on the podcast is not meant to be personal or direct financial advice for you. Uh, We recommend reaching out to your own financial advisor or even better, reaching out to us. Give us a call, make an appointment, talk to us. If you're looking for some specific investment advice that applies to you, if you're looking for a financial team, or direct advice generally, please give me a call or Taylor a call or, or feel free to ping us on email, taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com or just check out our website, www.altiusfinancial.com and please continue to turn into our uh, podcast, Capitalize Your Fridays every Friday. Yeah. And so let's kind of transition. You, you guys might have heard the, okay, world meets wallet, what's going on with the economy. So Mike, what is going on? I turned on my news the other day and I opened up my cell phone and people are storming the Capitol. I mean, I I think they're gone now. I don't know. So last week was the final ruling for the Senate and then Georgia went blue and now the whole world's going crazy. (laughs) What's going on in your mind? Yeah, I think a lot of our listeners are wondering what the heck's going on as well. You know, last week when they, when the Senate had gathered to basically, you know, it's a, it's a role they have to certify the election, um, to certify the electoral college votes for president, and, um, and, yeah, you know, there was this bizarre <laughs> storming of the Capitol by uh, rioters and. Yeah, you know, it's a sad, sad moment in American history. I, I never thought I would see that. Um, in one sense, it's not a surprise because we've been kind of going down this road, it seems like, for a while. You know, one of the things I've been emphasizing for years to our clients that one of the key pillars underlying financial markets and a strong economy is the rule of law. And, you know, it looks like we're continually, continually at least this past year, and culminating with last week's events, um, we're we're continually eroding that that whole idea of the rule of law. Now, obviously, there was the the issue of the election, and it was contested and so forth. But uh, that's a sad day. Yeah, I I mean, from from a personal perspective, and you've got to know this even better as a current business owner. But I'm thinking, oh, I I want to one day become a business owner, and what does this mean for me if people just don't care about enforcing laws if if laws are only enforceable when people like what they do for them i mean what yeah. are, what are your thoughts on that what <laughs> do, are we going into the dark times of the future i had a friend 
tell me yesterday that um, what's going on in the world is basically parallel to the Dark Knight, the the Batman movie, and that we basically got the Joker. And it, <laughs> to think that that's how far we've come is just, it's almost scary for me. It is scary. I mean, sometimes art does imitate reality, right? Um, uh, I, I don't think it's terminal. Um, I'm still mostly optimistic that uh, that we can, as a culture, turn the ship around, and that we're gonna we're gonna make progress. But that that does you know, beg the question: Do most Americans really understand the rule of law, or do they only like the rule of law when it's in favor of you know when it's ruling in their favor? Um, you know, it, it's it, that that whole election was contested. And, you know, there were several, not several, there were uh, tens, you know, almost 100 court cases that found basically that, you know, okay, maybe there were, maybe there were irregularities and, and so forth, but they threw most of the court challenges out, or virtually all the court challenges to the election were thrown out. And uh, it's unfortunate that Trump and his, uh, some, many of his followers, at least the people who were at the Capitol that day, uh, chose to to take take things into their own hands and, and use violence. And that's just a really, really bad sign. I mean, one of the, you've heard me say this before, but one of the, the hallmarks of Americanism and one of the great things about the story of the US is uh, peaceful transitions of power. And, you know, George Washington could have been king for his, the rest of his life. And he, he set the example, he set the tone to say, no, well, I'm not a king and we are, we are a country of the constitution of laws. And, you know, we're not gonna have someone who is a ruler. We're gonna have the people rule themselves. And he, he voluntarily uh, departed office. And that was a, that was a tradition for a long time. And that became, became the law once FDR was elected several times, but we've had this tradition going back from the beginning to having a peaceful transition of power. And, you know, with the last election, a lot of, a lot of Republicans say that there wasn't really a, a peaceful transition of power. Trump was elected and he and he was immediately, you know, they called for his impeachment and they were calling for violence on the left. And now we have this where, you know, not only calling for violence, but you have violence at the Capitol. It's it's a sad thing, you know, the um, and, and it has consequences for our culture and certainly for the investment markets over time. Yeah. And so speaking about the investment markets, I don't know that I noticed an immediate, I think in my mind, I would think, oh, the Capitol got stormed. People are going to question the legitimacy of our U.S. government. My my stocks must be dropping in half. My investment account is probably gone by now. And I don't feel that I've seen an immediate change that way. Um, no, right. And it's interesting because you would have thought, you know, with that kind of a a horrific event, and and it was um, that you you'd have seen more volatility in the U.S. stock market or around the world. Uh, I think most people, most investors, didn't uh, didn't really think that there was any major threat, um, and I think that's probably true. It was interesting. It's there's a lot of things we don't know, and it's it's interesting how you know there wasn't enough security there, and and they th those. Uh, thugs got in pretty easily, almost like they were let in. It, you know, I don't think that's quite true, but, but there's a lot of questions in my mind about how that happened. Um, you know, it, the, the thing that's sad is, you know, this, 
those people weren't really standing for anything. You know, they basically looked like they want to get their, you know, an Instagram photo in Nancy Pelosi's office or something. They, they were, it was more of a publicity stunt rather than any kind of true insurrection or revolution. I mean, you know, I believe we need a revolution, an intellectual revolution, a moral revolution in this country. Um, but that, that was nothing of the kind. They're, those people don't really stand for anything other than maybe Trumpism or, or just, you know, that they're mad and that, Trump has uh, lost the election. Yeah. Well, and I guess that that kind of says what our society is right now, and that's the issue with not just people on the left or right or extremists. I think that's just saying that as a blanket, we clearly have more issues with our deep-rooted society versus... Because people, they weren't going in saying, hey, let's sit down and talk with these people and get to a solution because here's the problem. They were just saying, oh, we're upset. Things didn't go our way. We're going to storm and take some cool Instagram photos while we're there before before anyone kind of yeah, kicks and, us out. And, and create, uh, you know, some destruction. And, you know, the yeah. thing is that I, I'm a person who believes that uh, that event um, was, in a sense, facilitated by what we saw over the summer. There, there were, you know, violence riots in the streets. Um, there was lots of mayhem in the U.S. over last summer, and it was tolerated. You know, there, there was no real respect for the rule of law. In fact, in, in a couple of cities, you know, on the, on the West Coast, Portland and, and Seattle, basically there were insurrections in those cities, and, and literally city blocks were, were considered to be independent nations. Uh, we didn't have the rule of law then, and, and I think there, there's more and more people who are saying, well, if it doesn't if no one's going to enforce the rule of law, then, you know, it doesn't matter. And, and that's a dangerous thing when we have that erosion. I, now, I, th I think most Americans still still have some sense of what it is, but there's a, an increasing number of people who are like, uh, it doesn't matter. And that's, again, I, you know, I keep repeating myself. It's a, it's a bad sign. Well, and furthermore, you talked about like riots and things getting burnt and that kind of stuff. I'd say furthermore onto that, people's, perspective on property rights and respect for others' property. I, I feel there's also been a diminution there as well. And if people Better. don't like how things are going, they take it, they burn it, they break it. And that just shows no respect for individual property rights, which is something I know you've gone over with me quite a bit about the value of, okay, it's uh, almost a blessing that Americans have the ability to own their own land and own their own personal property. And um, that wasn't a historical thing. And so the fact that people are just willing to throw that down the drain is it, it's also very saddening as well. Yeah. And it, it has deeper philosophical roots. Um, there, there's a movement in this country um, for people to not have respect for property rights or to, or to, to, to think of property as collective ownership, which I think is completely wrong and evil it's a horrible thing to say that you know what someone else has produced or or their body or their mind or the fruits of their body and mind are collective property i mean if you produce something it's yours if your business if if it you know like you were talking about you aspire to be a business owner if you're the ones who who are if you're the one who is creating something um of value then you own it and we have this tradition uh going back for over 200 years but it's being eroded now where people don't understand that that's one of the major tenets of a free society, a free and fair society that is, you know, that people actually own their own stuff. Yeah. Well, and so how do we think that this, 
I mean, we both said that in the short term, both of these erosions haven't really had a direct market returns impact. Do you think that in the short term or long term, we will see that kind of a market and overall economy impact? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up again. Um, I think one of the reasons why we haven't seen quite the impact to the financial markets, either last summer or um, this last week, is, is because of all the stimulus money that's being thrown out. And, and, and I think that those are violations of property rights. I don't think that's good government policy at, at all. Um, I understand because of the pandemic, a lot of people are advocating for this. But what it means is, you know, people are saying uh, we we have a right to tax and borrow more from the future uh, to redistribute today, and that's bad sign. But that's partly what's keeping the markets going up because you know investors think, well, okay, if the government keeps pumping money into the economy, that allows for more consumption. And that consumption is partly what fuels, at least in the short term, stock prices. But you and I both know that in the long term, it's not consumption that fuels stock prices, it's production. It's actually innovation. It's, it's actually getting work done, not the eating or the consumption of the results, but the actual getting of it done. That's what actually fuels uh, good business values. And so there will be an impact. I don't, you know, I, I don't, it's very difficult to predict when people will take less risk and say, you know, I don't want this kind of risk, but there will definitely be an impact in my view uh, of what's happening right now. Do you think that'll be something that we'll see in the short term or do you see it as more of a, maybe this is like five years down the road after, I don't know. Do you, do you think it's like, okay, now all of a sudden businesses are open and we're going to realize that the government took on way too much debt can't afford to pay back without increasing our taxes and things just start crashing? Or do you think this will be something that kind of snowballs over the next few years and builds up to a, okay, now we kind of need a reset? Uh, I don't like that necessarily <laughs> that term reset. There's a, you know, there's this global reset that's being talked about and we can talk about that more if you want to ask questions about it. But, but I, I, do, I, you know, you're asking for a prediction, and my crystal ball is not that clear, as you know. <laughs> um, you know, financial markets don't always anticipate big changes like this, um, and so it's difficult to say when the markets will actually reflect the risk that's out there. Um, yeah, there, there are some good forces. I mean, there's there's incredible innovation that's happened in in uh, medical technology and the pharmaceutical response to to the pandemic and the virus. I mean, so that, that has an enormously positive uh, impact uh, and, and technology for the most part has been innovative, although there's now uh, some significant attacks on technology, which I don't think is good. But, but overall, those are good signs for the economy and there's pent up demand. I mean, like, like you're saying, as we kind of get back to normal and as the, the vaccine and, and uh, people uh, either herd immunity or some kind of response to the uh, the pandemic in the sense of people getting more of a normalized life, there will be more increased demand for services and products and consumption. And that will fuel um, both economic growth, at least in the short term, and be a positive impetus for the stock market to continue. On the flip side, there's there's, you know, the Stock prices are probably way ahead of themselves. Most stock prices, in my view, are way ahead of themselves in the first place. So we have 
lots of overvaluation in the marketplace. And with this, this ongoing threat of the rule of law being eroded, um, I think that people are on edge and, and you could have easily big drops in stock market values over the course of just even this year. Now, again, that's not a prediction. I have no idea. I mean, and that's, that's why we don't necessarily make our portfolio recommendations or build portfolios based upon some kind of macro view like, like I'm talking about. I'm making commentary about the overall economy and the overall political environment, but we're building portfolios from the bottom up. We're buying things that we think are valuable regardless of the econ economy um, that we think have good prices right now. Yeah. Well, and so talking about what has good prices right now, if we do see the vaccine become very widely distributed and all of a sudden businesses are reopening, would you assume that there would potentially be a good value in a lot of those industries that were very much cut off because of the pandemic, like such as restaurant, travel, hotels, think, those kinds of things? Definitely pent up demand for that kind of thing. I think, you know, you and I have experienced that. We've talked about that. You know, I yeah. want to travel more than I have, but I, I like going out to eat. And I know yeah. lots of people who are like that, who uh, maybe there's this kind of shrinking mentality of I don't want to take the risk and I don't want to do worldwide travel because it's a scary place out there for some. But I think most people or lots of people, I don't know about most people, but I think there's still lots of people out there who are saying, yeah, okay, I understand what's happened over the last year, but I, I want to get out and live. I want to enjoy my life. And so I think there will be a spring back in some of those industries. I do think because, and you know, my view is the the response, the government response to the pandemic in terms of shutdowns and, and telling people they can't work or telling businesses, you know, who's essential and who's not was way overplayed, absolutely wrong and has enormous damage in terms of some businesses actually never coming back. I mean, there will certainly be some businesses and even maybe industries that just won't come back like they had been. But on the flip side, there are some that will respond well. And and I think that you know, we, we've talked about travel being a potential area for for uh, for investment. Um, I think there are areas that will do well when the, the virus uh, is really put at bay, so to speak. So I'm just going to play devil's advocate really quick. <laughs> you said that um, that you do feel that the shutdown was maybe in some cases overdone because it like hurting all these businesses and it was hurting their opportunity to bring in revenues. But on the flip side, do you wonder if it was maybe underdone? Because if it was overdone, it should be done by now, right? If if we had closed off everything properly, adequately, wouldn't the virus have kind of faded out? People would have healed well, and it would have gone away? <laughs> well, I think there are people who believe that and I don't want to necessarily take off any clients who are listening to this because I know, you know it's a controversial issue, but my view is that um, the government exists for one purpose and that is to protect rights. And that's what the rule of law is all about. That's what we're talking about under the, the whole idea of... Uh, of the attacks on the Capitol, you know, that's an obvious example of the rule of law breaking down and the government not doing its job. I mean, they, they didn't protect the, the congressman uh, very well. Uh, they weren't prepared uh, to protect rights. Uh, and, and obviously the villains in that case were the people who were violating rights. Yeah. So in the, the pandemic, you know, you could say, yeah, we should have shut down more. So uh, what 
that position means that we should have had more of a more martial law kind of, kind of scenario, that we really should have restricted people's movement and ability to, to do their jobs. I don't think that was necessary at all. And I think history, just the history of what we've seen so far, and I think as we continue to understand this virus, and again, I'm not a scientist, I'm just talking about from my perspective, yeah. Um, but I think that there was no call at all for the kind of response we have. It's definitely a threat to many people, certainly people who are unhealthy or have uh, comorbidities or, or certain complications in their own health situation or who are older. Uh, but it's not a threat to most people. And so to say to healthy people, to say to someone who's just you know doing their job and, or some business that's just trying to provide a service, that they have to shut down, that they are the threat to their fellow citizens. There was no proof of that. And I think that the proof is ongoing that, you know, it was just a really bad idea and it has bad consequences. I mean, if we go back to that fundamental rule of law issue with the Capitol, you know, Trump says, look, this, the, the election was stolen. And then we, as the, as the people in our court, through our court system say, oh, you think so? Well, then prove it. The burden was on, Trump and his team to prove that the election was stolen, that there was fraud. He didn't do it in the court of law. Yeah. There's an argument about that, but that was not proven. Our government should have still had that same burden of proof to say you, Taylor, or you, Mike, or Altius, or you know the, uh, the local restaurant is a threat to your fellow citizens. And yeah. they haven't proven that in any way, shape, or form. So I'm not, I think, you know, now again, I think there could make, you could make a case if a disease was that much of a threat. You know, if it really was the plague where literally, um, you know, tens of, you know, 30, 40, 50% of the population is going to die and, you know, it's that infectious and so forth, then maybe a martial law type of thing would be called for, but it, we don't have anything like that. I mean, all the models that they came up with to start with were way off. Now, certainly there's been a lot of deaths. There's no doubt about that. But, uh, the, you know, healthy people are not that kind of threat to their fellow citizens. And they shouldn't have had those kind of restrictions, in my view. And I know that's yeah. a controversial thing. And again, if you're a client, I'd be happy to talk to you about it in more detail. <laughs> well, and I think the bottom line is we didn't know enough about the virus. So if we had known more and it was more deadly, or if we had known less and... It was more deadly, I think. I don't quite it's... agree with that. I think they knew quite a bit pretty early on mm -hmm. that you know it's really going to affect older people. There's certain populations that it's a threat to, but most you know anyone under 40, it has no real. Now again, there's an off. There are off cases where there, there are people who are even infants who've, who've died of COVID, but from a, a, a population of 350 million, you know it's it's really clear who this virus threatens. And, and what the, the course of it typically is. And there was no call for martial law or even the shutdowns that we had in my view. And, and furthermore, I mean, th this is something I've said a couple of times to you. I don't know if I've said it on our podcast, but you know, the, within weeks, Moderna had a vaccine. You know, the vaccine that they're actually getting finally approved today or finally got approved um, was developed in January. Yeah. Not January this year, not January the, in 2021 that we're just starting, but January <laughs> a year ago. Yeah. And one saying how great it is that we, you know, that Trump accelerated the process of getting the FDA to approve things. I think it's, you know, still an absolute tragedy and glacial pace of, of uh, these vaccines being approved. They should have been, you know, there's a concept called right to try. And I, I'm a believer of that. A person who 
who really believe that there was a threat to their lives should have been able to say, I want to take Moderna's vaccine and you know, last it. week. Yeah. So I think we knew a lot more about it than, than people are saying. Now, again, I'm not a scientist or an epidemiologist, and I actually disagree with some of what I've heard from people who have a lot more expertise than I do. But in the whole context, I don't think, uh, you know, there's not been a case made to me that there was any call for, uh, you know, statewide lockdowns. Now, if you're in Manhattan, uh, I think, you know, it, where you have had maybe you, you have a lot of density and you have that kind of thing, maybe they, you know, for, for a certain time period, you could say we should have shutdowns. But uh, to sell, to say uh, like a Idaho or something or Colorado, yeah. like where it's more spread out. Just doesn't make any sense to me. No, no. Again, that's my that's my position. I think, and I think that that is going to have consequences. Now, the American economy is dynamic uh, and it responds. And there's been some innovations in lots of ways. But I do think there are people, jobs that are going to be lost. Certainly, people's lives that are going to be affected. Not just people who, who passed away because of COVID, but certainly, you know, who who lost jobs and have that have had their their uh, lives arbitrarily, in my mind, disrupted by the government because of this, uh, that it's, you know, that's part of the tragedy as well, and it's going to have an impact. I mean, I think we would both agree that in the at least near to mid-near future, this is definitely going to have a direct impact on the economy. All the businesses that are closing, people trying to find jobs, trying to figure out how to make a livelihood, pay the mortgage, that kind of stuff. What do you think that looks like for maybe a global economy versus, cause I know like US you hear, okay, here's all the businesses that are closing in this state versus that state. And here's all the restaurants closing in New York. Do you think this is gonna have a much grander impact broadly? Or do you think that likely the government's gonna try to swoop in with more types of modern monetary theory stuff where they're just pumping more money into the economy so that we don't fail? No, I think that's that's definitely a consequence, and that's a consequence of the election as well. I think, you know, whether you voted for Trump or you voted for Biden, uh, both of them were are, in my view, favorable toward printing money, not having any kind of fiscal responsibility. And I certainly think that with Biden now, you know, with the the inauguration of Biden, which you know hopefully goes on without a hitch. Yeah. Um, um, but and and the Democrats having much more influence in the Senate. Obviously, it's still basically very close, but uh, I think there's a greater chance of more, even more stimulus money being printed and less fiscal discipline. And that may, again, in the short term, help help the markets, but in the long term, it's not very healthy. Okay. That, you talking about the Senate going Democratic as well, just kind of piqued something that I remembered us talking about a little bit back. I know we had spoken about how prior to the election we were saying well if the house goes blue or if the senate goes blue and then the presidential goes red or if the president goes blue and the senate goes red that would kind of create a block road so there's not too much going through that's a bunch of change what are your thoughts now that the entire platform is going to be democratic well that's an overstatement the the entire Platforming, you know, it, it is considered sort of a blue wave, but in one sense, I mean, this, the the Democrats lost Senate seats, they lost House seats, they still uh, dominate in this in the House. Uh, I mean, they still have a majority in the House, and now it's a 50-50 Senate 
with Kamala Harris as the vice president and the president of the Senate. That's her role to break ties in the Senate. So that's why people are saying, oh, it's too bad that the Republicans, this is why Republicans are saying it's too bad that the, the Georgia uh, senators, both the Republican senators both lost to their uh, Democratic opponents. But there's there are people who are more centrist in the Senate. I mean, the, the West Virginia uh, Senator Joe Manchin has a lot of pressure now because he he kind of uh, he's a registered Democrat, but he oftentimes will vote on many issues with Republicans with the Republican caucus. So it's not that, the, that you're going to see necessarily the Senate change all the rules or change the entire policy. It's going to be close and they've got another election in two years uh, with much of the Senate being up and, and all the whole House and so forth. So that's you know, the genius of our system is that, you know, we are allowed as the people to, to come back two years from now and say, wait, we didn't like what we did. <laughs> uh, but, but you're right. I mean, going back to our discussions uh, throughout the fall, reevaluating the, the election, I was saying, um, you know, I, I'm, I would have been in favor of split government. I think that's usually how our economy does the best when, when government has less influence. And, and I'm in favor of log jam, whatever you want to call it, of uh, government not getting things done. A lot of times people hear, you hear people saying, oh, they're just not getting enough done. And I'm like, good, that's great. That means we can be free to produce and do what we want and trade with each other. But now that you have a, you know, quote, blue wave, I do think that changes sort of the calculus on how we, how we view the economy, the markets, and how we build portfolios. I think there will be some tilt toward certain industries and uh, against others. I'm still positive on on traditional energy because it's so cheap. And I think, you know, for us to to be a productive country, we definitely need to have cheap, reliable energy. Um, but the policies will probably be anti uh, traditional energy. Um, yeah. You know, healthcare will be an interesting thing to watch because the likelihood is there'll be pressure to expand and make more entitlement uh, provisions in the Affordable Care, Care Act, the Obamacare that was passed a number of years ago. Uh, healthcare facilities and providers probably will benefit. Um, I don't think our insurance will get cheaper. I don't think health, health access to healthcare will be better or cheaper. Um, I think it's, you know, another entitlement. Um, that's, you know, that's a political football there. I, yeah. I do think that technology is going to be attacked from both sides, uh, which is unfortunate because that's one, been one of the most productive innovative parts of our economy for the last couple of decades. You know, it's allowed us to actually survive this pandemic reasonably so for at least a lot of us. I mean, yeah. it's unfortunate there's, there's a number of industries and people who are, who do, you know, who can't sit at home and work, work from home uh, and be productive. But the, the technology innovation that's gone on over the last several decades because of a relatively free market there has been a savior for our economy in many ways during this last year because we can t continue to uh, consume things, you know, order from Amazon and, and get what we need and whatever our needs are met and delivered. And we, a lot of us can, can actually uh, be productive through that technology. So those are a couple of things I would make observations on uh, about, you know, sectors in the economy. On the technology side, I think I saw something recently saying that all the tech companies were like banning Trump from their services, like Twitter and Facebook. Did you see that as well? I did see that, and I think that's a mistake on their part. I mean, um, you know, again, this is a because of the topic you brought up. You know, this crazy world we live in today, and what happened last week. You, you, we can't avoid politics, and again, I don't want to, 
I'm, I'm liable to tick off every one of our clients if I talk too much about politics. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I do think that what happened last week was uh, a tragedy and probably an impeachable offense in terms of you know getting rid of Trump. And I, I personally think that we need to get rid of Trumpism, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but I and I also think that the the attacks on technology uh, are, are ill-founded by by both sides. Um, I don't think it's smart that Twitter or or Facebook or anybody banned Trump. Um, they don't. There's all kinds of thugs all over the world. There's all kinds of you know people who are who are uh, horrible leaders or or horrible people who have a platform on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, they just don't have any kind of consistency with regard to how they implement things. Um, so I don't think that was smart on their part, and I definitely don't think it's smart for our government to start telling what. Uh, what can be on uh, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. I, I think, again, you know, my ideology is about having people be free to trade with each other. No one has a right to be on Facebook. I mean, certainly Twitter has every right to kick the president off. They don't, he doesn't, yeah. I mean, they don't owe him a platform. Yeah. I just stupid for them to do that. You know, it's going to make the people, you know, the Trumpsters or the people on the right who are in favor of Trump, they're just going to be that much more pissed off. And it doesn't help anyone to have more division, more false division. I mean, let's get to the real division. Let's talk about the real role of government. That's what we should be talking about. And you know, in terms of, of a political argument, we should be talking about what is the role of government? What's the proper role of government instead of, you know, does, uh, does any social media platform owe someone, you know, a platform? They don't, you know, yeah. it's, their pro it's their property. <laughs> well, I guess I was wondering, from that perspective, do you think that that's going to push more or less regulation on those types of companies for them to say, well, oh, well, now we're going to start right. banning. We're going to ban people that we don't like, which, I mean, I don't blame you. I don't think, aside from the people who are rallying or supporting the rallies, I can't think of a single person I know that is happy with Trump at this point. <laughs> but do you yeah. think that that means that we're going to have future further regulation either on the tech side or on the government side of technology unfortunately i do think we will and that's a sad thing i mean people are going to use these antitrust laws to say you know it, you're not getting i'm not getting my outcome and the, and it's it's really bad because you know the republicans used to be reliably in favor of free speech and reliably in favor of keeping the government out of things but that's no longer the case you know they if if they don't get their way, they want to, to regulate just like the Democrats do. And that's that's a really unfortunate development. Um, you know, you're right. There's a lot of people who aren't happy with Trump right now uh, and me being one of them. But I don't I, do, I don't think it's smart for any large company or our government to just say, because there were literally millions of people who voted for him. Yeah, a good chunk and, of our country. Yeah, and, and to say, you know, those people have no voice or that we shouldn't listen to them or they should be mar marginalized in some way is really, really stupid. Uh, I mean, there, yeah. there's a reason why he got elected. And, and in many ways, I think it's a bad reason. You know, I think that the, because it's a trend toward more authoritarianism, and you've heard me talk about that. I mean, the Democrats gave up on the rule of law and free speech a long time ago. Um, and now we have, you know, with last week's events, it's obvious that the Republicans have as well. But I don't, you know, so I, I think, unfortunately, that there will be attacks on on big technology and, and big technology needs to do a better job of policing themselves. 
know, if they, if they have a platform and they say, you know, we're going to manage it this way, then they should be consistent about it. You know, the, it's amazing how they aren't. I mean, they really, from my perspective, they really are, uh, do represent a very leftist agenda and they have a right to do that. But the terms and conditions that they put forward to, you know, that people check the box on and to get the free service to get on those social media things uh, should be much more uh, clear and consistent, and they're not. So, Mike, you're we're talking about the erosion of rule of law. We're talking about literally chaos in the streets. There's issues with the regulation of technology and what's a good buy and what's not a good buy. Where's the market heading? What would you tell to our listeners? Like, what what should we do now? What's our next step? Should I be investing? Should I pull all my money out and hide it under my bed? <laughs> uh, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, the thing is, money is uh, an important thing in people's lives. You know, I'm a big fan of money. It's not, it's not going to make you happier or better as a person, but it it, it does allow you allow you to have more freedom and can have you do a lot of good in the world. And it's it's a cause. It's not enough. I mean, it's not a cause. It's an effect. It's it's an effect of the cause of your behavior and you should certainly be an investor. I mean, a person is always investing their time. You can't help that. You're spending your time, you're investing your time. You're, you, we, we all have that only so much time here on earth. And, and when we're using our time, we're either enjoying it by consuming it and, and you know, spending time how we want, or we're working with it and, and producing. And it's the same thing with your money. You, you, you either should be spending your money joyfully and you know enjoying it, however you're spending it, or you should be investing in it. And putting it under the bed just means it's kind of dying a slow death. Um, that's Ouch. not a good thing. But you want to preserve it. Um, you want to preserve your capital. And you know it's kind of like our tagline. You know we're saying that we're here to help people build wealth, build their capital, and then defend it if they've got some. We want them to defend it, and and then ultimately we want it to to grow and even share their capital. And so in that, in that spirit of building, defending, growing, and even sharing your capital, you should get good advice. You should seek wisdom. And we are saying that we can be a source of wisdom at times. We don't have any kind of special crystal ball, but people should be investors right now. And there are areas, there are definitely areas that have great potential. Um, we talked about some of them earlier on the podcast and and if someone wants to, to talk more about their particular needs in their portfolio, how much risk they want to take, we're delighted to, to talk to them about that. You know, in terms of a call to action, yeah. you know, people should be very much in this political environment. They should be engaged. They should be engaged. And I don't mean just voting. And, and, and I'm, I'm actually, you know, sort of a minority in the regard of how important voting is. And, and I do think there were irregularities with the election and problems with that. They should be engaged in terms of understanding the rule of law. They should understand the law. You know, the Declaration and the Independence are not that hard to read. They're not long, and they're very meaningful. Those, there's a lot of wisdom in there. You know, they're being attacked. They're definitely being attacked by our current culture, and people should be engaged in the sense of understanding, you know, what their government is supposed to be doing. What is the proper role of government? I think that's a big thing. And then trying to make that connection to what their daily behavior is like, you know, how they are as a citizen and how they are as an investor and how they are as an employee and how they are as a trader generally. So that's what I'd recommend. Is to spend some time and figure out what kind of government we want and what is the rule of that government. Both that, but also what kind of investor I want to be. You know, how yeah. do I want to be spending my time and money? 
Yeah. You know? and, that, and that maybe is a good uh, segue into reminding people to, you know, take our 53 week challenge. We've got, we've broken down financial planning, investing to 53 digestible steps that they, a person can take in their own lives. They can say, all right, this week, here's what's on, what's on the agenda this week. Here's what, what I should be doing. And, and you and I are trying to be consistent that way ourselves. We're trying to, to walk our talk or eat our own cooking. You know, both of us have shared our goals with each other and we're, we're yeah. taking each one of those weeks seriously. And we challenge our, our audience and our clients to, to join us. Yeah, definitely. And just a, a little elaboration on that. So for those of you who didn't hear about this last week and didn't hear about it the week before, we do have a 53-week finance challenge. So this is just something Altius is doing to help our clients, our families, our friends, just our social networks in general, get more engaged in their finance with investing and planning. It's totally free. We just have it on our website. We keep it on our Facebook, on our Instagram. I've been even posting some of them to our LinkedIn. So you would just go check Altius Financial. That's A-L-T-I-U-S Financial. And that's where you can see each week a little check-in. So maybe one week it's set your goals. This week it's pretty simple. It's not going to take you very long unless you have a ton of accounts to set up, but this week's goal is to set up the goals to meet that financial goal challenge that you have. So set up those accounts and just get them prepared. So in my case, I already have my 401k set up. I have a 401k goal for this year, but I already have the account set up. So I'm just crossing that off the list and saying I did it. I've already got an investment account with Altius. So I have an investment savings goal, cross that off the list. I didn't have to do anything. But maybe it's as simple as setting up one or two accounts. Maybe you don't even have to do an account. It's just checking to make sure you're staying engaged and that you are making steps forward in your planning. Or just, or just let's say you know a person has all the accounts they need set up for their their financial future, and but just reaffirming them, just going through mentally and saying, okay, this account is this is the purpose of this account. This is my IRA or this is my four hundred one k. This is this is really for my long term security. This is for my retirement. This is what I want it to be doing. The, the, the act of affirming that and mentally saying, this is my purpose with this account is a, is a powerful thing. And like you said, being able to, if you've got other goals or things that you need to set up, then to make sure they're getting set up early. Yeah, exactly. So you can just jump on that goal and start saving towards those goals right at the start of the year. I know quite a few people, um, one of my best friends is actually pregnant, but I know quite a few people who are either having the quarantine babies or starting to do that kind of planning in the next year. And one thing that many people may not be thinking of right as they're starting to have a kid is, okay, well, 18 years down the road, maybe that kid wants to go to college or some kind of um, education program. And so even that, as you're thinking of, okay, what kind of life changes am I expecting in the next year? Is it me going to grad school? Is it me um, wanting, am I retiring in a few years? I think thinking through those goals can also lead you to what are the next steps I need to take to reach that goal. And once again, if you if you do have an advisor, definitely check in with your advisor. But if you don't yet have an advisor, feel free to reach out to us. We do complimentary initial meetings, so it's no pressure. But if even if you just have a couple questions, if you're saying, oh, I think I maybe this is something I need to review. I, I hadn't thought of it the way that you put it in today's discussion, feel free to reach out taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com 
or feel free just to check out our website. We have plenty of resources that are free and fully accessible to anyone at www.altiusfinancial.com. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. I hope this was helpful. Hopefully it was a little bit more exciting because we're kind of having a little intense conversation. And happy Friday. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.